Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me. We've been spending a lot of time talking about the co-responsibility of the laity. And as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that in, in, in a certain real way, St. Joseph is a perfect example of the laity taking co-responsibility. He's among the most important saints in our church calendar. And um, we bring him out of the shadows today with Dr. Mark Maravalli and learn how we can, again, not only model our own understanding of Christian manhood uh, upon St. Joseph, but uh, also how we can increase our devotion to him. Mark is a professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, the author of many books, including Meet Your Spiritual Father, A Brief Introduction to St. Joseph. You can follow Mark at markmaravalli.com, M-I-R-A-V-A-L-L-E. Mark, good to have you back here. Thanks. Great to be with you, Al. Thank you. Uh, St. Joseph is uh, a figure which doesn't get as much attention as the Blessed Mother did early on. What was the? What do you think the reason was for the relatively late development of devotion to him? Yeah, that's a great question, Al. And, and you're right. Uh, devotion to St. Joseph develops more gradually. Of course, you know St. Augustine speaks about St. Joseph in a mm-hmm. powerful way, calling him. You know the virginal father of Jesus, uh, but it's really thirteenth, um, fourteenth, fifteenth century uh, doctors and then uh, holy fathers that begin that call, and then of course climaxing more uh, in the nineteenth uh, through our own time. And I, I, I wonder if it's not that God knows the timing of certain particular gifts and graces. Sure, uh, perhaps fatherhood was was fairly stable mm-hmm. in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, not that we can always benefit from the intercession of of the the, the spiritual patron of the universal church but um, particularly now i think we could say with the crisis of fatherhood with the crisis of masculinity uh with with every sitcom and and uh, program on television uh, promoting the empowerment of woman without any concept of uh, perhaps the importance of uh, the father the husband uh, the role of father and family um, that it, it's it's quintessentially necessary to be to be uh, kind of ex- accenting the role of Saint Joseph today. So it, it does seem like it's really 19th century to the present where we get a real flowering of Saint Joseph, both in the papal magisterium and theologians, and even in uh, church-approved private revelations. Yeah, um, there are great testimonies to Saint Joseph's greatness, as you point out in the book. Uh, Teresa of Avila, in particular, had much to say. Yeah, St. Teresa gives uh, what's called her formidable challenge. Uh, She basically says, after attesting, that she was on death's door, and she she says, I I think that God gives saints abilities to intercede in in different specific areas, but uh, to St. Joseph, uh, he seems to be able to serve us in in all our needs. And then she says, you know, if you question, if, if you don't accept what I'm saying, I challenge you to test it. So essentially, you know, call on St. Joseph in some difficult situation in your life and see the power of his intercession, because it's an intercession, which is second only to Our Lady as a mediatrix of all graces. In fact, theologically, we call it proto-dulia, proto meaning first among the saints after Mary. That's hmm. uh, where our devotion should be, and that also is proportionate to the power of his intercession. So as you say, Teresa of Avila gives us the St. Joseph's challenge, uh, which... We can take up today if uh, we have not experienced 
the intercession of St. Joseph, give him something difficult, uh, and then watch with awe of, of why he is the greatest intercessor after Our Lady uh, for the Church today. The phrase, the just man, is often applied to St. Joseph. Uh, what's the origin of that? Yeah, just, uh, biblically, is far more than just in kind of a Thomistic sense of giving someone their due. Right. Just, uh, biblically, means righteous, right. holy. It's the closest word you have for holy. And it's fascinating, you know, Al, that it's before the angel appears and clears up what was traditionally called the ordeal uh, regarding Joseph. Well, what was the ordeal? The ordeal is that he's in stage one of marriage. Okay, For Jewish marriage, stage one is mm-hmm. the betrothal. Stage two is you, you bring the bride into your home. So he's in stage one of marriage, and he, and he notices his wife is with child. That's an ordeal. Uh, he knows it's not his child. He also knows the purity of his wife. Uh, some of the fathers said uh, Joseph grew gray uh, in the temples during these three days. But before the angel clears it up, Joseph chooses the better part. That is, he chooses to dismiss Mary quietly, where the other option would have uh, impugned uh, the stoning of yep. Mary yep. under Jewish law. So, so he basically says, I'll take on the guilt of something that I know I'm not part of, uh, out of love for Mary and out of a righteousness to God. So uh, so it, it, there's little said about him, but what is said is very powerful. Basically, the inspired word calls Joseph holy, sanctified, um, in, in his response to God's providence. You know, you, you mentioned the very stages of Jewish marriage. Spend a little more time on that, because I, I'm i not sure people realize, because, because our culture, when we talk about engagement, for instance, um, right. sometimes that's done... Uh, well, it's it's a loose word, is what I'm saying. It, 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 mm-hmm. People get engaged. They back out of engagement. Some people can be engaged a few times before marriage actually occurs. What is this idea of betrothal in the Jewish mind of the first century? Yeah, it's critically important to understand that, to understand the relationship between Mary and Joseph and what proceeds. So in in Jewish custom, a betrothal was marriage part one. In fact, if you look up even today in an Orthodox Jewish encyclopedia, it will tell you very clearly that if you enter betrothal as an Orthodox Jew today, uh, to get out of betrothal, you need a formal divorce, because it's marriage part one. So, common in the days of Jesus, marriage part one was the commitment, but then there was the need to, to, to make ready, to make ready the house, to get more funds possibly, uh, and so it was oftentimes a month or even up to a year before marriage part two would happen, which would be bringing the wife into one's home and then, and then in a typical fashion, having marital relations with her. So it's during marriage part one that Mary is seen to be with child. Um, and there's various you know opinions, Al, about you know how Joseph is to respond. I mean, for example, St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, you know, Joseph, you know, wanted to dismiss Mary quietly because he felt unworthy. He figured it out, that, that Joseph figured out that this must be the Messiah, hmm. she must be the mother, and I'm not worthy, so I'm going to back out. Now, there's a beauty to that, because there's a, there's a beautiful sense of the, the sanctity, but there's a reason I think that most church small-t tradition has not taken that. It, right. It's really the second option. That is, it's a suffering. It's a trial. He doesn't know. All he knows is that his wife is with child, and he still does the right thing. 
In fact, I think that more manifests the sanctity of Joseph. I think it makes it much more relevant to us today. I mean, we're both fathers uh, and, and husbands. We've had, you know, difficult cases where mm-hmm. there's not clarity. Uh, yep. We have to trust God, and if there's not clarity right now, we've got to trust it'll come. In the meanwhile, we have to have what's called the, the patias divinae, you know, the patience with the divine, uh, not to do anything wrong and to wait to know what exactly to do. Uh, so I, I think the struggle of Joseph during marriage part one manifests his, his, his extraordinary virtue and, and trust in God's providence. Because, you know, of all people, of all humans, Joseph is the greatest icon of God the Father. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you have to make the distinction with that, because, of course, Our Lady is, is more sanctified than Joseph, right? right? She's full of grace. Sure. But she's female. Joseph, if you had to have an icon of God the Father, it would be it would be Joseph. And that's why guys like Thomas and even the 17th century author uh, Bossuet, the great French author, said that God had to infuse into the heart of Joseph the ability to command Jesus as his true son, because wow. otherwise his humility would not do it. Yep. And, <laughs> that's and the Father also, isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and God also put into the heart of Jesus the ability to see Joseph as a true father, although virginal, so that he would obey uh, uh, Joseph. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so this is such a beautiful orchestrated love of father to son between uh, Joseph and and Jesus and vice versa in ways that really took special grace. Uh, Joseph wouldn't do it on his own. How do you command uh, your son who's God? <laughs> Except that the father gives you that authority. Right, so right. It, it, it's extraordinarily beautiful, and, and that's why Augustine would say, if we want to apply it a little bit more, what Joseph was to Jesus as head of the body, Joseph is to you and me and to to all our listeners. He's our spiritual father. He's our virginal father, and he has the greatest intercession after our Blessed Mother. The sad thing is uh, about it, Al, is oftentimes we don't ask him for it. We, We don't seek Joseph's intercession. Well, that principle of St. Augustine is very powerful, because we have the same relationship to Jesus, uh, excuse me, to, to Joseph that, that Jesus has. Uh, and, and so untold intercession, real power and real protection, that includes glory of home life, terror of the demons, uh, you know, defender of holy church. These are incredible virtues, and we can get these from St. Joseph if we ask. Wow. A uh, little footnote here. What does it mean to put her away quietly? What would that actually yeah, well, entail? Yeah, right. See, so we, we will use the word divorce, and that's a very loaded term today, of course, right. because of our abuse of, of that in so many cases. So under Jewish law, Joseph had two options. So he could dismiss her quietly. You have to realize that within the Old Testament, if, if a wife burnt the husband's dinner, he could give her a writ of divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was not a substantial needed reason to do this. This is why Jesus says, yeah, divorce was permitted because of the hardness of your hearts, not because it was right from the right. beginning. Right. Uh, and so put her away quietly means that there would not be a public uh, uh, announcement or, or promulgation okay. of this decree. There would not be any uh, public punishment, that is stoning or whatnot, but that they would simply go their ways. That, that's, that's to put her away quietly. And that was also possible. But once again, for Joseph to do that, it would imply 
Joseph was responsible for yeah. this, quote, illegitimate kid. Right, right. Uh, you know, yeah. We don't often think about that. Well, we think of the shame Mary uh, would have uh, uh, received, but we don't often think that Joseph would have been uh, considered responsible, too. Absolutely, and, and that would have been total disgrace within Jewish culture. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you asked the question about you know, the nature of it, Al, because sometimes you'll hear well-intended pastors and preachers say, you know, Mary was an unwed mother. Uh, so understand that, too, and that's not accurate. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I've actually used that phrase myself, but you're right. It's a, we need to remember that she was within the first phase of Jewish marriage. So uh, hold it there, Mark. We'll come back and continue conversation. Looking at uh, St. Joseph, meet your spiritual father, my guest, Dr. Mark Maravalli. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Mark Maravalli, professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. We're talking about St. Joseph. He's got a, a brief introduction to St. Joseph, which I think is just, just very sharp. Um, it's called Meet Your Spiritual Father, Your Spiritual Father. And we're, again, discussing the biblical, the historical, the theological, and the spiritual issues surrounding uh, the figure of St. Joseph. And um, I wanted to just ask, we have Old Testament foreshadowings of the Blessed Mother. We look at Eve, we look at the Ark of the Covenant. Are there any Old Testament foreshadowings of Joseph, St. Joseph? Yeah, it's a great question. Now, in fact, there are several. I mean, St. Joseph is called, you know, the glory of the patriarchs, because in a certain sense, even with with Abraham and Moses and David, uh, these are all father figures in, in extraordinary ways, right? I mean, fathers of the covenant. But when Joseph becomes the virginal father of Jesus, his fatherhood fall, far uh, extends beyond even that of the great patriarchs, and mm-hmm. that's why he's, 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 he's the patriarch of patriarchs. But we all, we also have you know even in the in, in the specific person of the Old Testament Joseph there's there's really remarkable similarities. So the Old Testament Joseph, uh, his father's name is Jacob. Uh, he is uh, communicates with God through dreams. His purity is tested, hmm. and right. eventually through his fidelity, uh, he will be uh, a, a type of secondary savior figure for his people. Of That's course. right. You know, it's Joseph that, that does the harvesting that allows uh, the, the, the Jewish people to then come down and benefit from the Egyptian uh, saving of, of the grains, uh, which, is a, which is a type uh, both of Jesus, but also of Joseph. Uh, it's fascinating, too, Al, that there, there are some great fathers of the—well, more doctors of the Church, St. Francis de Sales, um, Alphonsus Liguori, that held— that St. Joseph experienced a, uh, an anticipatory bodily assumption, meaning what? Meaning that Joseph uh, had his body assumed into heaven in a way earlier than the rest of us have to wait. Now, I want to be clear, that's not a doctrine <clears throat> of the Church. It may never be a doctrine of the Church. Right. But it was, it was a theological position. Uh, on what basis? Well, on the basis of the Old Testament Joseph. Because Genesis fifty twenty three says that they took the bones of Joseph right. into the promised land when they left uh, Egypt, and you know great saints like the sales that yeah, that's also true of our Saint Joseph that 
his bones mm-hmm. would be brought to heaven before the rest of us. Yes. Uh, so, not a doctrine, uh, but, a, but a theological opinion. That, that certainly could be the case. Uh, clearly, if you wanted to have you know, the Holy Family fully in heaven, certainly Jesus' body is ascended, Our Lady's body is assumed, and Joseph's body could also be assumed, not in virtue of an immaculate conception, but because of the fittingness of his holiness and the unity of the Holy Family. But that, that's an also an Old Testament uh, kind of prefiguring. Sure. Uh, curious here, and I realize this is, this is getting maybe too technical, but the, the bodily assumption of the Blessed Virgin is uh, qualitatively a different um, event than uh, Elijah or Enoch uh, being taken from the earth. Would St. Joseph's assumption be in line with the Blessed Mother's, or would he be in line with the Old Testament figures? That's a great question. Now, th- another reason why you deserve your, your cyber doctorate in theology uh, <laughs> for, for these astute questions, which uh, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to at least try to respond. So, properly said. So we always start with Jesus, right? So Jesus, uh, his ascension is in virtue of his own power. It's a divine mm-hmm. ascension. Mary's is passive. Mary's assumed uh, body and soul into heaven. Now, what the Church has said about Enoch and Elijah is, is that they had a extraordinary exit from this life. Mm-hmm. The Church has never, uh, in any formal sense, uh, said that they had a bodily assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, many hold that it's really, they ended their lives uh, with an extraordinary brilliance and beauty to testify to their life on earth. But, but the Church has never gone so far as to say, yeah, we also believe in their bodily assumption. It's more common to hold that all bodies uh, will await the final uh, redemption of our Lord and the final resurrection and, and the judgment on the last day, and that would include their bodies as well. So St. Joseph's body would be quantifiably and, and qualitatively different in the sense that, A, it's not in virtue of Immaculate Conception, which would be unique to Our Lady, right. but B, that it's possible that it could uh, be assumed both on the argument of fittingness uh, and the appropriateness of a testimony to the fact that he was the most saintly human being after Our Lady. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the boundaries of, yeah. of the possibility of assumptions. Yeah. No, very good. Very good. Very helpful. Uh, you know, we often say that we don't know that much about St. Joseph based on the biblical material, but actually the biblical, biblical material is pretty rich uh, in what it tells us about him. And uh, it, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised when I hear somebody say we don't know that much about St. Joseph. Good heavens, he, you see him time and again making difficult decisions, and that's where you get to know a person. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's a very... I have to uh, recite a quick anecdote that it, a part of the, reading, the writing of the book was um, my mother, who's now you know 93 uh, years old, who was so frustrated every time her local parish priest said, on every feast of St. Joseph, you know, as a good Italian, that was more important than almost any other feast. Uh, and of course, we, we do know that St. Joseph was Italian, right, Alan? <laughs> that is, is that revealed? But maybe not. But anyway, uh, certainly in my mother's mind, he was. So uh, when, when, the, when the parish priest would get up and say, well, we don't know anything more about Joseph than he's just a just man, and let's continue with the prayer of petition, it, it would infuriate her. So, so I have some line of, of, of defense of that. No, look, I mean, first of all, he's been given a custodianship over 
the incarnate God, mm-hmm. that says volumes. Once again, he is the greatest icon of God the Father that we have. Secondly, in that role of custodian of the Redeemer, it's interesting that God directs uh, the directions of saving the Savior, if we can say, of, of keeping the Savior protected from Herod's men, through Joseph. Now, when you're talking about the Holy Family, um, Joseph, on, on the level of sanctity, he, Joseph clearly comes in third. Okay, The, the, the first is the incarnate Jesus, the incarnate God. Secondly is, you know, the, the uh, she who deserves hyperdulia, right? Mm-hmm, the right. theatrics of all grace and mercy. So he comes in third, but that doesn't change his vocation as head of the family. Right. And that's right. why it's so important that a father remains head of the family and will for all eternity, not because he's holier, but because it's his call. Oftentimes, he's not as holy as his wife. Right. But that doesn't call him to uh, to give up the God-given task, and that's also what we see in Joseph. So God the Father communicates through the angel to Joseph to protect Jesus from Herod, also to instruct Jesus when to return back uh, after the death of Herod. And it's interesting that Joseph seems to make his own prudential decision to, to go a certain route to avoid any difficulty for the Holy Family. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a total testimony to the holiness of Joseph. Why? Because as St. Thomas says... You get grace according to your vocation. Joseph must have got untold levels of grace because he was the custodian of the Redeemer of the world. Uh, And so that's the ultimate testimony to the reality of of who St. Joseph is. As you say, it's not—John Paul II will say, you know, he's the silent man of Scripture, that his silence is in proportion to his sanctity. Now, that's a very foreign concept for us today. Uh, for us, it's, it's self-promotion, it's, it's getting ahead, it's empowerment. Well, Joseph does the opposite. He lets God get him ahead. Yes. He responds to God's providence in ways very beautiful and, and, and helpful for us. Uh, it's his silence that bespeaks his sanctity. His role in the naming of Jesus is, is itself significant, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that comes down through the male line, and, and even... Even the, the genealogy, uh, you know, bespeaks the importance. I mean, God wanted Jesus in the line of, uh, of of the patriarchs. He wanted it in the line, in the covenant of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's not token that um, the genealogy of Jesus goes down through Joseph uh, and then to Jesus. Uh, some would say, yeah, but it's, you know, Jesus is, is uh, Joseph is not the, the biological father of Jesus. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners who have either d- adopted children or they are, in fact, adopted children would be quick to say, wait a minute, yeah, I had a different biological father for those who are adopted, but this was my true father. This yeah. is the father who yeah. sacrificed and loved and, and suffered with me. So ultimately, what's more important in the eyes of God? And, and it's, it's that type of understanding that Augustine says that, that, that Joseph is the virginal father of Jesus. Sometimes we use the word a foster. Oh, it's okay, but it's a little light. It's it's a little mm-hmm. weak. Okay. Uh, it, it's a true fatherhood, though it's a virginal fatherhood. But that's part of the genealogy. That's part of the naming of Jesus. And um, and you notice that Mary at the, at the um, presentation of the temple. Excuse me, at the finding of, of of Jesus in the temple. Mary says, "Your father and I were much concerned." Right. She doesn't say, "You know, your foster father." She doesn't say, uh, "Your protector." 
because I'm your you know, only biological mother, your father and I were much concerned. Uh, so it's the beauty of the importance of Joseph in the life of Jesus and in the plan of the redemption. Yeah, that's a that's a great point because you're right. We we tend, at least in my spiritual imagination here, I tend to minimize his fatherhood of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because it's I'm thinking yeah. to myself, yeah, foster father of Jesus. Uh, you know, God uh, by means of the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus. Mary's womb, but uh, and Joseph was kind of just the recipient of a gift. But he yeah. is a he is a he is a the virginal father shapes the development of the son. So he plays, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's 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 the one teaching. He's the one demonstrating. He is a, a real father. Uh, we and we shouldn't. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I, I think we have to overcome that gap. Between the idea of the, you know, the the, the passive uh, father who kind of stands by, and Mary does all the real tough work um, raising Jesus. No, Je- uh, Joseph is deeply involved right. as the father of Jesus in that respect. It's very true. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know the well-intended pious idea that that Jesus comes forth miraculously from Mary. I mean, which is that's certainly part of the dogma of her of her perpetual sure. virginity and her virginity during the birth, but then all of a sudden Jesus stands up, he holds up two fingers, and he, and he starts to give the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. You know? right. There's a true humanity. There's a true incarnational. The same thing about formation. Jesus, the, the, the Alpha and the Omega, was formed by Joseph, by his hard work, yep. by his patience, by his kindness, by his love, by his unequaled service to, to Our Lady. Jesus is formed in his humanity by that, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's why the Church so honors humanity, our freedom, uh, our need to cooperate. As, as Augustine says, God creates us without, us without us, but he cannot save us without us. He, that's part of the need for human cooperation. And so all of that, I think, is honored by the fact that Joseph truly forms the humanity of Jesus, and that's the testimony to who this man had to be. Mark, I want to thank you again for being with me. Uh, you also got material in here on devotions of St. Joseph and also his role in the uh, apparitions. Uh, so people need to pick this up. Meet Your Spiritual Father, a brief introduction to St. Joseph, Dr. Mark Maravalli. Again, Mark, thanks. My pleasure, Al. God bless you. 